1: Hi, welcome to another episode of Cleaning Up the Mental Mess with Dr. Caroline Leaf. I'm Dominique, Dr. Leaf's daughter and podcast producer. Today's episode is taken from an interview Dr. Leaf did recently on the Cannibal Mindset podcast with Chad
0: Sanschagrin. In this episode, Dr. Leaf discusses why labels like ADD and Anxious Person are so dangerous, especially when used on children, how to find freedom from labels, how to deal with problems like anxiety, how to help your children with anxiety, and so much more. If you enjoyed today's episode,
1: please consider leaving a five-star review and keep sharing with friends and family. Also, for additional helpful resources and tools to help you take back control of your mental health, be sure to visit drleaf.com. Now, on to
0: today's episode. Welcome back to the Cannonball Mindset and today is like, uh, it's it's not Christmas yet, but it feels like it's Christmas morning for me because I'm sitting here and I'm getting ready to interview somebody that I think is, um, I refer to it today as the LeBron James of neuroscience. She is the best at what she does, bar none. She's written a uh, countless amount of books, just to name a few. Uh, switch Off Your Brain, Switch On Your Brain, think, think, Learn, Succeed, Think and Eat Yourself Smart, along with, I, I don't even know how many others. She's got an app. She's got an unbelievable <laughs> podcast. She's, she's everywhere. Uh, Dr. Caroline Leaf, thank you so much for, for giving me your time.
1: Oh, thank you. It's a great honor to be on your show. Thank you. Love
0: what you do yes. too. <laughs> Thanks, I appreciate that. I am a, th- 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 If somebody would have told me uh, thirty years ago that I would be one, have a podcast, um, would be surprising to me. But two, the idea that I'd be sitting down and having a conversation with a neuroscientist that is really just the best at what you do, and you're, you're <laughs> also a communication pathologist, I'm saying this is this is unreal to me because I'm I, listen. I don't have a I don't have a college degree. And I graduated mm-hmm. high school with a 1.6 grade point average. I didn't finish my first book until I was 25 years old cover to cover and really just had the wrong wow. mindset. And I was labeled with all these things and all these and most of the labels I gave were labels I put on myself. So to sit down and have a conversation with somebody with your intellect and your expertise, uh, this is this is going to be an awesome conversation. that I oh, know I'm so- going to take a lot out of.
1: Well, that's really sweet of you. Thank you so much. And I love the way that you, I love the name of your podcast, The Cannonball Mindset. That's really cool. <laughs> yeah.
0: So, so that's everything, really, about, cool. really, everything is about mindset. And I want to, I, I want to be really, mm-hmm. I only have you for a short amount of time. So, I want to be really uh, appreciative and, and respectful of your time, but I want to get right into it. And one Absolutely. of the things that I've, I noticed, and I'm a father of um, twin 15 year old daughters is really that um, the power of your mindset in uh, maybe how you're labeled now. I see labels happening a lot in schools. I see um, my kids coming home, and uh, it seems like every third friend they have, they say, well, Dad, she has ADHD, or she has this, she has ADD, or she, and these labels are flying out with our kids. Do you, what's your idea about labeling kids at such an early age and the impact it has going forward in the rest of their lives?
1: Well, first of all, I love the question. It's an incredibly important question. Um, and the, I hate the labels. Um, label, that's the short answer. The long answer is that labels basically lock us in and they chain you and they, you kind of will live into the label if you don't actually understand what's going on. And we're in a our culture today is one of label. Diagnose, label, and prescribe. And it's been moving in this direction for the past 60 years. Um, and I've been practiced. I practice for 25 years and I've been doing research for 30 years, clinical research. We've just finished a, a clinical trial just very recently, busy, busy analyzing all of that at the moment. And I saw back in the 80s when I was doing my research and starting to practice that we still. I was trained in in, in an era where we looked at the individual as a unique case study and they had an individual narrative. And if a child was battling at school or a teenager was battling at school or battling with their emotions, we didn't just label them. There was not even a – label for them. They were someone who needed help. So therefore they came into therapy and we would look at, we would see if there was a learning issue, if there was, um, if there's a learning issue, there's inevitably an emotional issue. If there's an emotional issue, there's inevitably a learning issue. And what's going on? There's a story and every person's different and it, needs, it requires a team approach. So that is the training that I received. And what was very disturbing for me is that from about the mid-80s and really took off in the mid-90s, it shifted over to a much more what we call a reductionistic model where the person's story, the sort of person, the who they are, the how they think, how they feel, how they choose, their mind – put to the side and what became a major focus was the person's physical. So everything became about the brain and this move really became very popular in the late 80s and early 90s when Brain technology became very popular and suddenly everything was all about, you know, your brain on this and your brain on that and your brain made you do it. And and the person was forgotten at the expense, you know, that the, the brain became important at the, at the expense of the person. And that is where the, it has really caused a massive problem where this this generation, your children, my children—they're growing up under the under the incorrect belief that if you're sad, or if you're depressed, or if you're anxious, or if you're worried, or if you are frustrated, or if you're irritated, or if you're dealing with stuff, that there's something wrong with you, that there is um, a brain disease, or that that you have a neuropsychiatric brain disorder, or there's something wrong inside of you, or you're not you're this imperfect, broken person. And that you need medication and that you're ill. And that is a ter- the first generation ever to grow up like that, the first, the most medicated generation that we've ever had, a generation that is not being allowed to express their emotions, to if, if, if feel their feelings and process them and reconceptualize them. And that's not only, I mean, our gener- this generation's growing up like that, but we also have from the older generation so from 25 years millennials and up are also have also been sucked into this philosophy of you know mind doesn't really matter your story doesn't really matter and you are just simply a physical biological automaton and if you're feeling sad there's something wrong with you get a label get a medication squash yeah. it down but we all know instinctively that that's not right that that's wrong that it's not helping and and we look 60 years later and we see the consequences of this labeling and diagnosing and prescribing and ignoring of the mind. And what we see is that uh, people are actually dying 15 to 25 years younger, that we have an, a very frightening reversal of trends. Instead of people living longer, they're dying younger. And this, the age group most affected are your 25 to 64-year-olds. And so people are being struck down in the prime of their life. Children are losing their parents at a very young age. Um, in with and, and they're tracking this back to – lifestyle um, diseases. Basically, it's, it's preventable from, people are dying younger from preventable lifestyle diseases. And what they're also seeing is that if people have a label, they're dying even earlier. So that that trend of 15 to 25 years younger, um, the, those with the label, are, and you can add another 8 to 20 years on that. So someone who may have lived till 75 is now dying at 50. Someone who would have lived till 50 is now living at, at twi- living till maybe 25 or 30. And it's become pandemic in its proportion. It's across the developed world and it's affecting pretty much every society. And this trend began in about, you know, it, it began in the 90s. They suspected something, started doing research and by the, now, now at this point in time, we recognise that the that there is a major problem. So at the same time as they started identifying the issue, um, at the same time as they started saying that you all it's all about the physical, it's all about the brain and everything is the brain, 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 and um, psychiatric drugs and antidepressants and let's give you a label and let's medicate you and let's make everything about a medical model of illness. And at the same time as that, we introduced. Um, uh, the modern american diet became very ubiquitous and people the processed food movement became very dominant so we had two major factors that keep humans alive that started changing and transforming over that time yeah. and it, immediately it, almost immediately the statistics showed up yeah so now we're seeing 20 60 years later we're seeing the results and it's it's a disaster <laughs>
0: Yeah, I think uh, this is this, this is so. Listen, this is really important because the idea that you know I get this label, uh, I'm diagnosed with the label, and it is a you know it becomes all you hear now. Or I think what is so prevalent is mental health, mental health, and people associate mm-hmm. health with a drug, right? If you have a mental health problem, there's, got exactly. it, there's an immediate cure, and we are we're in this cure all, fix all uh, mm-hmm. uh, society where well, if I have to be fixed, that must mean I'm broken and And now I don't know how to are we are we literally making people not understand how to actually cope with the stress, cope with the emotion cope, we're, we're just we're, we're masking it with a with a bandaid, and then at some point it, the band-aid's not strong enough to hold it back anymore is that Would that be a fair analogy?
1: Absolutely, you've summarised it totally correctly. When when you ignore the person's mind, when you ignore their story and you, what they're going through, um, you're going to land up, and you just focus on the physical. You're going to land up with um, the kinds of problems that we are seeing, where it's people on. It's literally like we we all instinctively know that we are have a story and that we need to feel and that we have need to have a better mindset and all that kind of stuff. But we are being told by the doctors and by the just general attitude, just the general philosophy in our society that you're not supposed to feel. But feeling is what begins the healing. You've got to look at those emotional and and, um, physical warning signals and recognize that they're telling you a story, that there's something going on. We've got to give ourselves and our children permission to embrace that depression, embrace that anxiety, embrace that those those psychotic thoughts, embrace that, that that irritation and frustration, the guilt, the shame. Because each of those is, all of those are emotional warning signals that are telling you that something is going on in your life, and it's part of the human condition. It's not something weird. You you being you're being a human. We've got to stop medicalizing misery and pathologizing suffering and 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 allow people to process if you don't get it out it goes into your brain as a toxic it's in your brain as this toxic thought it goes into your body and your body's going to explode you know you can't suppress the irritation you can't constantly suppress those those traumas that you've been through, the bad experiences, and just keep yourself busy, 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 and hope it'll go away. It's not going to go away. You have to deal with stuff. And yeah, society now needs to shift back into allowing our children and ourselves to to be human again.
0: Listen, I, I love that. And I'm, listen, I'm a father. In theory, it sounds, and, and as logically, it even sounds so dead on. The challenge, I think, is, listen, I'm a father of, of twin 15-year-old daughters that are having... Mm -hmm. Um, emotional changes now right when it comes to boys when it comes to their friends when it comes to all these things that they're social media they're bombarded it seems like more than I ever was my you know when I was younger my I had tons of emotional stress but my my mother who worked was a single mother she wasn't trying to fix me she was all right you got to work it out not in a not in a rejective type of way but more of a hey listen i'm busy trying to support three kids and you got to work these emotions out the normal but now as a father you see your, i see my kids in some sort of emotional distress and the immediate reaction i have as a parent is to want to fix it want to want to soften it want to lessen it but that's really the wrong the wrong The wrong approach in that sense it's is it be there and support them and let them work through it or is it to immediately try to solve it for them so they don't feel that pain
1: no you see that and i'm so glad you brought this up as well because they you have to let them feel the pain in order to know how to manage the pain you have to be able to let them experience the stuff otherwise they're never going to develop the coping skills and the way that i explain it I think, which makes it very easy to understand. If you think of a trapeze artist, they're swinging through the air, but underneath they, and there's a lot of danger involved and there's a lot of direction and focus and skill. And um, But underneath you've got the safety net. So if they do happen to fall, the safety net is there to catch them. And as a parent, we have to be a safety net. We, we can't be up there doing the swinging for them. They have to swing through life. They have to find the path. They have to do the work. They have to experience the failures and fall. And and we all know that. And we can't, you know, we are in a society helicopter parenting society. You know, make sure your kids get into college society. Yeah. Shape your kids society. Get them into every lesson society. And you know, you you've got kids that are f- two twin girls that are fifteen. The twelve to eighteen year old, from twelve through eighteen is the most difficult part of the entire human life cycle. And it's at this stage that our children need everything at different stages. But in general, the overarching philosophy is to be there and tune into your children and be that safety net. The younger they are, the more guidance, obviously hands-on. But by the time you have a teenager, 12 to 18-year-old, they need to be listened to and research shows this um and it's also instinctive but parents don't always do this but research shows that if you uh, that the greatest desire that a teenager has is to be listened mm. to but most of the times they're not listened to, they're spoken at. And because they're trying to process the emotions and develop, you know, the, the linguistic skills are starting to develop to quite a high level that they can be quite, but they kind of jumbled. So they the emotions and everything together, the brain's still developing. So very often it can come out as that they're being difficult. But that behavior is not necessarily that they're being difficult. It is representing something underneath. There's something going on. And it doesn't mean that you have to, you know, just like tolerate terrible behavior, but it doesn't mean that we should be punishing, pushing away, giving advice, telling them they're difficult, that kind of stuff. We need to be helping them to process life. We need to sit and listen. We need to say things like, uh, this is a lot that you're going through. But we'll do this together. It's just a lot to handle. It's a lot to manage. But I'm here for you. And if you start getting to that mode of listening and tuning into your children and really, you know, finding out what they love to do and and, and doing that with them, your kids will start talking and we can then be much more effective in parenting and much more effective in helping them as they fall navigate that process. You wrap a child in cotton wool. You're actually preparing a child for failure for the rest of their life.
0: Mm-hmm. So so profound in the sense of again, the greatest thing you can do is be that safety net underneath. But they really do have to learn how to uh, embrace their struggles, embrace that. And it sounds maybe mm-hmm. that's the the wrong the wrong messaging. But embrace the fact that you're going to have these these struggles, and you have to build. Is it building a, a resilient emotional? Uh, Fortitude, like so, so hey, I know how to cope with this. I've built. I've, I've been, I've been hit before. I've, I've almost like you're building myelin in the brain. You're, you're building this uh, connection of emotional uh, uh, sheathing to to be able to respond to it faster, better, quicker. Is that this? Is that the same? Is this the same concept?
1: It's yes and no. What happens is it's a lot more complicated than that, and and this is the other thing. Brain science said the way it's presented to on to the average sort of. um, and in the media, it doesn't really give us the true picture. Um, it's not sort of a matter of just growing networks because we, we the brain just does what we tell it to do, and your mind can override any network that you have built in your brain because your mind is not your brain. So I think one of the principal elements mm-hmm. that we need to always look at first is what is the mind, what is the brain. And how, does, how do we change this whole thing? What, what is going on here? So if you start with absolute basics, it's step number one. You need to understand that your mind is not your brain, that your brain is not your mind, that your mind is how you think and feel and choose. And your brain is physical substance that your thinking and feeling and choosing moves through. So your mind is this energy of thinking feeling Mm. and choosing that literally uses the brain as a way of processing storing and expressing who you are and what you're thinking about so as you're thinking and feeling and choosing you're building all these networks into the brain and these networks are thoughts and these thoughts influence the entire body and they become the roots of what you say and what you do so as you uh, so that's the like basic principles. You're not your brain, you and your mind is you growing your brain. You're changing your brain all the time, and these thoughts are very complicated. They're little protein structures um, that grow on top of the neurons in the brain called dendrites, and these they little very complex protein structures, and they're constantly changing. You're never the same. Every experience changes you. Even memories don't stay quite the same. But memories are thoughts. Thoughts are memories, and they're always changing. And you, as you, as you get more and more experience, they're always changing. You're always growing. You're always experiencing. You're always getting going to that next level. And it's as you mature and it's the rest of your life you're going to be doing this. So I think it's very important that we understand that, mm-hmm. that, The mind is not the brain, Uh, that you actually can change your brain. Yeah, which is really nice. So it's nice to know that if I have this way of thinking, um, I've got, if I'm saying something and I'm doing something, then I've spent time thinking about it. And if I've spent time thinking and I've spent time feeling, if I've spent time feeling, I've spent time choosing. And that thinking and feeling and choosing has built structures in the brain and those are thoughts. So that's a, and because of what we call neuroplasticity, neuro means brain and plastic means to change, you can change how your brain functions. So if you recognize that you do. Something, and it's it's causing you discomfort. It's causing people around you discomfort. You can use that feedback to recognize. Okay, well, this is a behavior that I have, that I can change. That um, and in those and and those behaviors are the result of the thoughts, and the thoughts were built as a result of your thinking, feeling, and choosing. And the thoughts that you build contain information. So whatever you are thinking, feeling, and choosing about. So if it's a behavior. You're constantly getting bullied at school, and that input's coming in, and you're going to think and feel and choose about that, and you build up this thought in your brain that I'm not worthy, or I'm scared, or I'm useless, or those I'm I'm, whatever, whatever, whatever it is that because everyone's going to respond in their own unique way, but it's going to be something toxic because it's a toxic experience. So inside that thought tree, this protein thought tree, the physical, the emotional experience the actual experience is built into a physical structure in the brain. And that physical structure contains the information of that bullying and the emotions of that bullying. So emotions are tied in with Mm. information inside the thought trees. And if it's a toxic thought, then it's toxic information and toxic emotions. If it's healthy thought, then it's healthy information and healthy emotions. So we, we basically then expressing those thoughts in in the words in our actions and words and our emotions and so on. So we can look back at those and we can change those. They, they don't dictate who we are unless we keep them. If we just keep them, then that's how we'll carry on being. But if you're going to change, then you, you've got to look at your behaviors and you have the power inside of you because with your mind, you built them. With your mind, you can change them.
0: Oh well, okay well, All right. so this is this is really this is so so I got I got a ton of questions here cuz this is really interesting far away. and this so so if I have a if I have a toxic thought right I have a I have a thought that I'm not Adequate. So my, my growing up, my thought, I was, I was raised by a single mother. didn't have a father. The toxic thought that I just wasn't, I wasn't smart enough. I wasn't, we had no money. So that became a toxic thought. I was the victim, this victim toxic thought, this toxic thought in my mind filtered through my brain, which is a, which is really the engine that, that pushes out my, that, uh, uh, shares my thoughts. Right. So I think it, it then goes through this brain. Does a toxic thought, create a toxic brain does it does that make sense
1: yes it it does totally so as you think and feel and choose that's your mind and that's 99 percent of who you are so here you have this experience as a child where you were your mom was single you you didn't have much money that she couldn't really spend much time with you so you've got like a self-image issue and there's whatever Um, that's those experiences and that's energy, those words, the things she said, a lot of them probably unintentional, whatever, but it went inside of you. You processed it. A little boy, you thought, felt, and chose. And as you did that, you changed the structure of your brain. You grew these thoughts into your brain. Our brain is not wired um, or structured characteristically for toxic traumas and, and irritations and toxic... Whatever it is, it's our brain is actually all the wiring, all the chemicals, everything are, are actually designed in a positive direction, which is quite interesting. So when we experience something negative, the the proteins don't fold properly, and the chemicals don't work properly, and the electrical activity is all weird. But it's still there. So you've got this really ugly looking tree, which is if you see me on YouTube, I always use this kind of wiry looking tree yep. just to help people have an analogy in their mind of is thought's still there. You've still changed the structure of your brain. You've still built. You've still changed your brain. You've grown your brain in a, in, a, in, a dire, in a direction, but it's toxic and it's causing brain damage. And it's, it increases your vulnerability to low-grade inflammation across your entire body, which means you're vulnerable to get any one of the lifestyle diseases. And if you don't you know deal with that stuff um, and 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 a lot of times like you as a child I mean how do you control that situation it's your mother's socioeconomic situation is it was imposing on her ability to be able to you know give you the the emotional need that you had as a young boy yeah. but that's like we can't even blame her for that because her circumstances were yes, sure. We, you know, we, we've got to be careful how we handle the situation because yes, it, it was it was difficult that it, she was in a difficult situation. Yeah. We have to check it right back. Where was the support? If she had the support from a community, then she could have been had more um, emotional support that she could have given you what you needed. So there was this cascading down downstream effect of society not supporting the single mom who then couldn't support her son, who then went into life with, you know, a lot of emo, emotional stuff and had to work as an adult to, to overcome these things. And, you know, so we've got to change society yeah, I, as well. We've got to look, we've got to be much more community focused. I love that. And so I
0: love that. But the, 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 the thing is though, like, so for me, like I, she, my mother is an amazing. One of the is still the, one of the most amazing women I've ever met. In my entire well is the most amazing woman I've ever met in my entire life, and she's uh, she's never said it. And I've never even heard her say to this. I'm 45 years old. To this day, I've never heard her utter a negative word about anybody or any situation. But what happens is, and and I would love this is what I'm what I'm really. Uh, fascinated about is so i interpret my situation as negative i interpret these what's going on i create a negative story a toxic story it filters through my brain this becomes my this becomes my uh, personality this becomes who i am right to me this becomes who i am and it just it continues mm-hmm. It never releases. so that toxicity just stays in my brain it either, either stays in my brain or it just does it just grow and that all of a sudden becomes my personality becomes my life is that is, is that the case? Like, it's my stories that I'm telling myself?
1: Yes, pretty. Pretty much. So, whatever you think about the most will grow. So, if you're um, going through the situation and as an adult, now you said some very positive things there. You said your mom's amazing and she's still yeah, alive and yeah. still amazing. So, even so, you explained that as a child, you didn't get quite the nurturing yeah. that you needed and it affected yeah. your early adulthood. But you, you, you got to a place in your life where you actually were able to stand back and observe how you were thinking and how your mom, and suddenly yeah. you saw, had compassion yeah. and you suddenly saw, hey, it was really difficult. Being a single mom, trying to make enough to actually earn a living, yeah. to and you, so you shifted, and that compassion um, Mm -hmm. shifted how you function so your brain neuroplastically responded to your mind so with your mind you chose to look at what you instead of blaming your mom you decided to actually see her circumstances in the whole narrative and that then helped you to rewire the toxicity of that thought into something positive but let's say that you didn't let's say that you just became so self-involved that you got into drugs and you got into alcohol and you got into self-destructive behaviors and you just you just never dealt with the fact that you weren't nurtured like you expected to be or like a child deserves to be it's their right yeah. to be nurtured. A child is its right is to be nurtured and you know and to be able to have someone there pick them up when they fall and and hold their hand as they go through the tough stuff and if you don't get enough of that it will affect you but you as an as a as once you sort of into adulthood in 19, 20 even earlier even 15 16 year olds you can see with your daughters you can stand back and say oh hang on let me to see dad's got a, like a really high pressure job and maybe I shouldn't be so hard on him and you did that so in But you could have gone the other way. You could have been really sorry. You could have got very bitter and angry, and you could have pursued that and stayed bitter and angry and gone down the wrong road. And and that could have played out in in innumerable ways. Um, So, yes, whatever you choose, whatever you think, feel, and choose about what you've experienced in your life, and that would be that. what your early childhood would be as you know, it's called adverse child experiences. Um, Basically we call them non-conscious drivers. Whatever you've gone through is driving how you function as an adult. And then that's not, we all know that, but you can just submit to that and make that part of your personality and just say, well, this is me and this is who I am. And so I've gone through and just kind of almost be consumed. Or you can stand back and say, this is not how a human operates. Everything, Person, including my mother, my father, whatever, have got a story. And what was their story? And how can I s- choose to forgive and choose to understand whatever? And then that changes. So in your personality, then shifts sure, back, but it's I, a I choice love that. you make. And every human has until the ability what point, to make that until choice. Until what point?
0: What at what age do you do you no longer have that ability to to make that choice and to change the toxicity in your brain or to change your outcome or the, the the ideas of what you're feeding your brain where it actually can make a difference? Is there a point where you just like, all right, listen, you you're you're 45 years old and you've you've been a You've been, um, you've had these toxic thoughts and these toxic uh, ideas for this for forty five years. There's no change in it at this point, or is it? always are you always able to to change?
1: You're always able to change. Our minds are so powerful that I mean, my oldest patient was a seventy eight year old. Accountant, you wanted to do become, I mean, a pilot, you wanted to do become an accountant. Um, and I mean, that's yeah. quite something at 70, 80, qualified at 84 as an accountant. Yeah. Um, I, I have people that are in the, 80s and 90s that follow me on social media and that apply these principles and, and change. The it's never ever ever too late. Your brain is plastic, literally, and your mind is essentially designed to to operate in a in uh, without sounding all super spiritual and stuff. But literally, it's designed in, uh, to operate in a love mode. And we see from quantum physics that our thinking and feeling and choosing generates energy um, energy the kind of energy Einstein spoke about. And um, at, our, at our core level, we, we, we can be physical and then we break down into smaller parts and eventually subatomic particles and eventually waves. And these waves have an energy that they emit that is basically at the core of who we are is a love energy. And so when we are toxic or get irritated, for example, that that wave gets disrupted and it becomes this toxic kind of wave. So we generate this energy from our body and our brain um, collectively all the time based on what we're actually thinking about. So you can, and it's always changing. So you can generate this toxic energy and you can see it's having a toxic effect on people by your words or actions or whatever. And you can just choose to stay like that. Or you can say, Hey, I'm going to self-regulate. I'm going to manage my mind because we are designed as humans to manage our mind. It's all about mind management, how you manage your mind will determine how you are going to deal with those issues and decide I'm not going to be like right. this anymore. I'm going to change you. Can, and you can do that at any age. There's ne- there's no time limit on change. You're changing anyway. So if you don't change into the, into the healthy version, that's going to bring you the peace inside of you, which is, Truly, success when you feel that peace inside of you, then you're going to be. Stay, you're basically just going to become more toxic. So yeah. you're still making a change. So it's just the question is: Are you just staying? Are you getting more toxic, or are you actually starting to control I love that. The, and the whole idea
0: that you control that? That you control the change, right? You control it, it's once you exactly. once you understand that it's a kind of a liberating thought. I'm saying it takes. The, the the idea that you have Damn. that ability that God gave you that ability to 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 make this change right we didn't program us to be, to be a geese a goose exactly. would we'll just flies south doesn't know why I'm saying we have that ability of free change that free will that's that's a pretty liberating thing isn't it
1: it's very, very liberating. And it's very important that we teach that to our children because they're growing up in a society where we pretty much are told that um, our children are growing up in a society that they're pre- pretty much told that they can't change, that this is, you know, as soon as they battled school or have any kind of emotional problems, they're hauled off in the system and given a label and, you know, they're getting locked in. If even adults in your life at a young age tells you something, you know yourself what that what that what can happen is you've experienced it yourself. If someone tells you intentionally or unintentionally that you are a broken brain or you are this or you are that, you'll live up to that because you you're being shaped by your you know your your, your elders, the people around you, they're speaking into your life. So but that can change at any stage. Anything that has been spoken over to, that you've been consumed by, all of that can change. And this is the message we have to get to our kids, that your mind is more powerful than your experience because your experience produced this thought in your it resulted in a thought in your mind, but your mind can change that. Those, the, the way that you're behaving in response to the pain you've experienced, is not your really. destiny. It's part of your journey, you know, and we all have to talk about being, having being on a journey, but no one likes doing the hard work of actually, Hey, I better go and embrace this. I better process this. I better reconceptualize it because it's painful, hard going to get worse before it gets better. It's really difficult. It's so much easier. Just, Oh, that's the label. There's the pill. There's the, you know, there's just the sort of like magic potion thing and it doesn't work and it's not working and that's why i started off with those statistics that that kind of approach is what's killing people you pay the, we will pay the price society will pay the price and society okay. is paying the price and our children are paying a terribly high price for this model that we have allowed to propagate literally um for the last 60 years of labeling them and medicating, making, them. And making, and it's medicating well,
0: Deborah, them listen i i work with corporate companies every day and i was just with one uh last week and they have they have you know there's an assessment for everything there's a personality test here there's a disc there there's this, i'm saying oh uh, yeah 10 million of, right and so i'm in this mm-hmm. company and outside of their mm-hmm. office doors now they have posted their personality assessment it says if you're going to walk into this person deal with this person this way right everybody has a different one right and i'm like what, what 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 well this way people know how to deal with them and i'm thinking yeah but but people will if you're told enough times you're this this and this well then all of a sudden they believe they don't they've lost the ability to change this is who i am and now that becomes who they are regardless of whether they want to or not they start to believe that is their truth is that right i'm saying that's it's detrimental to the idea of of change and and evolution right
1: what Yeah, absolutely, because we're constantly evolving as a human. So there is a core, core, you are you, you're not me. I I make a lousy you, you make a lousy me. So there's definitely a core of who you are, but the whole um, IQ movement where you are measured and the personality profile movement where you are categorized, which is what all the discus and these Myers-Briggs and all these things fall into, stick you into a box that you're this type of person but that's not correct because you aren't a type yeah. you aren't you're actually a prototype. If you think of it, you're not a type, wow. you're actually a prototype. So you are your own unique categorical thing. No one's like you. you there is no category except yours and everyone else is their own category. So therefore, um, I, I the intentions of those yeah. pro- profiles are good in that you're trying to recognize that there's a difference between all of us and let's treat don't try and treat everyone yeah. the same that's the good mm-hmm. side of it the bad side is we cannot say that you're a type a person and um, i've developed over the years i developed profiles myself and then but they're not personality profiles i developed them in almost like a rebellion to the profile movement and to the diagnostic movement, where I had to measure people, um, and it's a it's basically a profile. And it's in two of my books, because there's two parts to it, um, where it basically helps people to understand not uh, what kind of pro- personality you have. Forget the personality stuff. That research is in your case it's so unscientific, and it's been you'll see a lot of stuff coming out now in the media about the unscientific nature of personality profiles and the whole concept of personality because we change so much but what is if what is important is to recognize that you have an identity and and your identity is how you uniquely think feel and choose and that how you think feel and choose is going to change with all the time through every experience who you with who you marry who you don't marry who you who your friends are and what you do and where you live and your socioeconomic and the political and so everything is contributing your suffering shapes you and all these things are all contributing to how your thinking feeling and choosing will Mm. grow organically so you think and feel and choose in a unique way which means you see life in a certain way Um, and that can obviously become filtered by toxicity as we've been saying But um, there's a core part of you that sees it differently to me, and that's what we need to be focusing on, the fact that you see it differently to me, and it can become very distorted through pain and suffering. But pain and suffering can can also be used to grow that organically in a very good direction. Looking for the ideal, on-the-go, super delicious, brain-boosting snack? Then you need to try Super Fat Nut Butters, my favorite go-to snack. Right now, I'm snacking on some apple slices with the Super Fat Protein Nut Butter spread on top. Delicious. The healthy fats, carbs, and protein really help me stay focused, full and energized so I can power through hours of podcasting and research. Super Fat Nut Butters are certified keto and paleo. Ready to take your snack game to the next level? Well, Super Fat is offering a special discount just for my listeners. Get 15% of your order when you use the code DRLEAF at checkout. Just go to superfat.com and use the code DRLEAF at checkout. The link will also be in the show notes. Ladies, I need to tell you about a bra company that has changed my life. Third Love. With Third Love, I took a really quick and fun online quiz, which then matched me to the perfect bra, shape, and size. Every customer has 60 days to wear it, wash it, and put it to the test. If you don't love it, you can return or exchange it for free and Third Love will donate it to a woman in need. Right now, they are offering my listeners 15% off your first order. Go to thirdlove.com slash drleaf. That's thirdlove.com slash Leaf for 15% off today. Let me tell you about my secret weapon for learning new things and getting ahead. It's called Blinkist. Blinkist takes the best key takeaways, the need-to-know information from thousands of non-fiction books and condenses them down into just 15 minutes that you can read or listen to. I love Blinkist because in less than 15 minutes I feel like I can fast track my path to a more intelligent and informed and healthy me. I use Blinkist as part of my daily brain building morning routine which helps really boost my mental health throughout the day. Right now for a limited time Blinkist has a special offer just for our audience. Go to... Linkist. dot slash doctor leaf. Try it free for seven days and save twenty five percent of your new subscription. The link will be in the show notes. So to embrace that pain and suffering and that depression and and look for the lessons and let it shape you, not be yeah. f- afraid of it. We mustn't be afraid of feeling, which we've become afraid of. You know, the society today's age yeah. um, doesn't doesn't encourage yeah, us to only feel
0: because. Really, only because the only reason why we're afraid to feel is because we feel, if I feel sad, if I feel upset, if I feel shame, if I feel, then I'm broken. That's it. I'm saying that it's the fear of what I'm going to be perceived as or what story that's going to create in my head.
1: Yes, your words exactly now listen look at that the the fear of how we perceive so we've become so shaped by society and so shaped by what we think is normal that we're scared to be true to ourselves so we've taken all authenticity away from the human experience and because we're so busy trying to be the way that the world is shaping us this is normal that's normal but it's not normal because quite frankly all of us are are what is normal Yale brought out a study quite recently last year where they show that there is no normal brain. Yet the whole of neuroscience is focused around, and billions of dollars are being poured into, into finding out what is a normal brain and what's going wrong in the brain that makes you have the illness of being sad or the illness of having um, seasonal affective disorder, which is just ridiculous, or, or having bipolar, as though it's some kind of brokenness in your brain meanwhile those are simply um, a, a categorical description of 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 a big word an umbrella term for a whole bunch of stuff what could make you you feel depressed is not going to make you know it's different for me it's different for someone else and everyone experiences depression and anxiety and and gets affected by weather and gets what it's normal some more than others and so what we need once again as I said in the beginning um, is that we need mind management. We need to be learning how to be more self-regulated. We need to be able to do mental autopsies. We need to be able to recognize the need for connecting with each other and yeah, community. This is
0: really good. I want to move on, but really what, I, what one, of the, one of the things, I just want to go back to what you said, and, and this is how smart you are. You said it almost as a throwaway line, but I wrote it on my whiteboard. I have a whiteboard desk, and I literally wrote it in, in old letters uh you are not a type you are a prototype and really the i'm saying that's that's really it i'm saying god didn't create mm-hmm. us in a in an on an assembly line he created us in an art in an art studio right i'm saying everyone was, is, is is different and so exactly. that's really power i'm really really powerful stuff right there and so all right, i want to i want to kind of shift a little bit because you mentioned it a little bit and you talked about depression and you brought up depression, that everybody feels depression at some point. The The idea of, of depression, and maybe there's a thought, you had a great, you wrote a great blog, I don't know if it was last year, I read it, um, that talked about um, depression and the idea that um, most people immediately, if they say, well, I, I have depression or I'm depressed, that there's a chemical imbalance, that it's there, that a chemical effect First, is that, is that, would that be an accurate statement? Is that what it is? If you, if I'm depressed, does that mean that I have a chemical imbalance?
1: Absolutely not. And it's very good that you brought this up because it's a lot of misinformation. The chemical imbalance myth is actually, that's what it's called by even psychiatrists, even the American Psychiatric Association and the head of the American Psychiatric Association will, will say, will, will actually may, has made, there's actually a written statement that the chemical imbalance is a myth. It's a, just a, it's a great, um, it's a great, marketing tool that sells drugs. So basically, you've got a chemical imbalance, you need a drug, you need chemicals added to fix your chemical imbalance. And where it was birthed, it was birthed back back in the 50s by a scientist who was theorizing that maybe there's, when people feel sad, there's a chemical imbalance in the brain and that's the cause of the depression. But it was never proven or scientifically shown to be true because it's impossible to show it because it doesn't exist. You don't have... You can't measure for a chemical imbalance. You can't. It's just not. There isn't a chemical imbalance formula that we can find through some sort of test and then say that that's what depression looks like. And they have spent billions of dollars trying to find what they call the neurobiological um, correlates um, and the chemical, you know, in, in terms of the chemistry of the brain and the structure of the brain for things like depression. And they've never found it because it isn't there to be found because each of us is unique and each of us is not, not only going to experience depression once or twice in our life, we're going to experience depression. If you are honest with ourselves, it can happen weekly. It can even happen daily. You'll have moments in, in your day where you may feel very flat. It's quite normal. You'll have moments in periods of your life where you'll have seasons where you feel really awful. Where it's really hard to just feel anything maybe. And it's, it's different extremes for everyone. And that's not an illness. That's not a chemical imbalance. Your mind is 99% of who you are. Your mind, as I've been saying, is how you think, feel, and choose. And how you think, feel, and choose is in response to what you're going through. And that thinking, feeling, choosing, mind and action, 99% energy, you move through your brain. Your brain is physical. If you're dead, your brain does nothing. Your brain is responding. And we can see this. I use technology in in my neuroscientific research. We use very advanced brain technology and we can see the brain responding in real time to how you're thinking and how you're feeling. And so your brain obviously is going to respond. Because your mind is moving through your brain, your body responds, you eat food, your body responds, you get hungry, your body responds, you feel sad, your body responds. So your brain and your body obviously are going to have a reaction to what you are going through but they are not producing what you're going through. Your mind actually causes it. The the, the research shows absolutely clearly, and this is probably going to change and become an even higher statistic as we understand more, but we can see that up to 95% of um, illnesses that kill people, lifestyle diseases like the autoimmune and the cancers and the cardiovascular diseases and so on, come from lifestyle diseases. What are the deaths? I mean, people are 95% of disease is lifestyle Related preventable lifestyle. If you ask what lifestyle is, so if 95% of cancers, etc., are coming from lifestyle, what is lifestyle? Lifestyle is seven things. Lifestyle is how we manage chronic stressors, which is the day to day stuff. What's your mind management for that? So what's your mind management for acute stressors? The big things that happen that you and are unexpected that happen. Frequently, inf- fairly infrequently, but they happen. The um, the, the, the Your identity, what do you, like we spoke about this already, what other world is shaping us, how we, personality profiles, instead of being allowed to be our own unique self, instead of being, we're getting lumped as a category or as a number, but you are type you. You, no one can match you. If, if your identity is taken, if you, you get jealous, you get, you, you lose your humility, there's pride that will come in, there's fighting, there's arguments, you don't understand others. So identity, and that wrecks your brain and body. Not managing your acute stresses and chronic stresses wrecks your brain and your body. If you're not um, dealing with things that have happened in your past, like you've spoken about stuff in your past and you dealt with it as an adult, you've dealt with that. If you don't deal with those non-conscious drivers, it's going to put your body at risk. If you don't watch your diet, if you don't sleep, if you don't exercise, these are, those, are, those seven factors are lifestyle factors. If they're not managed by you with your mind, with your thinking, feeling, and choosing you step into that low-grade inflammation across your entire brain and body, which then makes you vulnerable to these lifestyle diseases, which then can shorten your life. If you take that and just treat the physical, and you've got to treat the physical. I don't deny that. If you t- develop type two diabetes because you aren't eating properly, and you're not eating properly because you're depressed, and you're depressed because you've never dealt with your childhood issues, can you see the tracking back? If I don't deal with all of that, yes, you're going to land up with the, uh, with the, with major, maybe fatty liver disease or something, and you're going to have to treat that because it's the physical result of you're going to land up. Um, but you still have to find out the cause. Why? Why do you have the fatty liver disease? Why, wh- what is your diet? Why aren't you exercising? Why aren't you sleeping? I mean, you don't sleep. You set yourself up for cardiovascular disease. You're not sleeping because your thoughts are chaotic. Why are your thoughts chaotic? Because you're not managing your chronic stress. So the whole thing tracks back very neatly to how we are managing Mm. our mind. And that means that we as a society have to teach our children, teach each other, help each other. You cannot do this alone. We're not designed to do life alone. We're designed to do life in community. And we need to be helping each other to manage our stuff, to sit and hold hands. And like I said about your teenagers, if your teenager is going through something, you know you can't fix it for them. It's the worst thing you can do is fix it for them. You want to fix it for them, but the best thing you can do is put the tightrope there, which is sit down next to them and say, this is a lot to manage, mm. but I'm here with you we'll do this together. You know, that's the sort of thing that that's going to be able to build that resilience in a, in a person and help them to be able to move through life more effectively.
0: So so is it safe to say that then the, uh, if I, if I'm following this correctly, um, Th- that I, I have the th- I have the thought in my mind. I have the thought in my mind. I have this negative thought, this this depressed thought, this sad thought, this whatever. That I have this thought in my mind. It cycles through my through my brain and then manifests itself in my body, in the body, in my in, in my in the body. And now, not dealt with, it'll take on it'll take on even more, and will literally make me sick. So, what started in my mind. Is actually going to manifest itself out, and then not dealt with correctly, not not, not managed correctly, not um, released correctly through love or friendship or community or these things, then it's going to have a physical effect on me. It could physically cause me to be sick. It could physically, which only makes me think, makes me think that I have some <laughs> sort of chemical imbalance <laughs> or something wrong with me, as opposed to dealing with it in a in a better way.
1: Exactly. That's exactly what happens. So the, 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 the mind leads to the physical. and The physical is a, becomes a warning signal that something's going on. And it's going to be different for everyone. Someone might get cardiovascular issues. Someone might get cancer. Someone might get this. Someone. Now, I'm not saying that if you think badly, you're going to get sick. But there's a 95% chance yeah. that if you don't manage your thinking, you will get sick. I and mean, those are just the facts. Those are what we're seeing. And it's all preventable. And then you if you get guilt and shame, that'll keep you even more stuck. So you, you, you need to guilt, shame, condemnation. Labeling drugs, whatever they not, none of those are going to cure the facts I and mean, cure cure what's going on. And obviously, if your body is now feeling awful because you push this this weird sort of toxic wave of energy through your brain. It's upset your blood chemistry. It's upset your um, the 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 the, the, the energies that that's that's required to drive the the genomes, um, the, the the correct genome effect, which means that the genetics have to switch on correctly and produce the right. Um, the right substances that you need for cell survival If that's not happening, your body starts breaking down. So there's a a response in your body that has to be addressed. So absolutely, you may find that your serotonin levels do drop off and your dopamine levels do drop off and that you have an increase in homocysteine. And yes, we will see physical effects, but it's not a chemical imbalance that is now an illness. You have an illness of chemical imbalance. And therefore, if I give you some chemicals, I can fix you and you're going to be all fine. That's the philosophy. It hasn't worked. That's what's killing people. What it is, is that, okay, there is is a result in your body. And what we need to do is, deal with the symptoms, not through an antidepressant. That's not going to help. We're going to have to deal with the physical effect. So if there is cardiovascular issues, we need to now fix the deal with the physical effect. We need to deal with the cardiovascular issue in whichever way. But we at the same time can't only address that because there's a feedback system because now you're broken or feeling awful, your heart, whatever. That can increase feelings yeah. of depression. You have a gut-brain axis. You've got this link between the brain and the gut and what you're eating and what you f- affects your gut, it uh, affects your brain and vice versa. So if you're uh, that goes for your heart, every system of your body, every set of your body, if, if, if you're feeling awful, it's really hard yeah. to feel happy. Um, so you've got this feedback loop. So we have to address the physical, get the physical under control, but we've got to stop saying that you are de- you have clinical bipolar depression because you have a chemical imbalance. Yeah. That's not even science. It doesn't tell anyone anything and it doesn't help anyone with anything. It just makes things worse. What we need to say is, you're feeling depressed. Okay, that's the reality. You're feeling you're you, you're actually having physical heart problems, or you've got tremendous digestive issues. Let's let's treat the digestive issues. Let's let's change your diet, your exercise. Let's look at what's going on in your blood. Let's check out let's check out all those. Let's do all this physical stuff because we have to address it and yeah. let's fix it, change diet, etc. But at the same time, yeah. let's look at why you're depressed. What's going on in your life? What's your story? And then, so I developed over the years, thirty years of research. 25 years of clinical practice, I've had a lot of experience. I developed techniques studying how the mind-brain connection works and brain research and developed techniques to help people to um, stand back, observe their own thinking, become aware of what are these physical and emotional warning signals in my life and what does it mean? And it's based on science and it's a five-step process and that five-step process um, is used to detox the brain, whether it's of a toxic habit or, or, a, or a, some kind of abuse or trauma that you've been through. And also in that process of, of addressing that you're not just going to try and change, it's not cognitive behavior therapy, it's not psychotherapy, it is you, learning to manage your mind and self-regulate your mind. It's a process that teaches you okay, this is how I'm feeling. Let me now address this. What is the cause? And you go through a process that is how your brain actually builds memory and you break, you find the toxic issue and you break that toxic issue down and you rebuild it. So you embrace, you process, and you redesign. Yeah. You don't try and eliminate because it's part of your story, yeah. but you turn it around, you reconceptualize it to the point where it doesn't control you, you control that and we've put all this in, I've got books and things, which I'm sure you'll we'll mention at the end. But we've put this into yep. an app called Switch, which is fairly new. And we've just, just about to upgrade it now this week into its, its new format. And it's amazing because it's all these techniques that I've put into yeah. a very simple technology platform. And the last thing I wanted to say about when we, I mean, I've always got a lot to say, but basically that relates to this whole concept is the fact that you can't do this alone. And I've stressed this a few times, you know, sit with your teenagers, sit with your friend, sit with whoever, listen to each other, ask for the help. Connect with each other. Don't try and fix someone, but support someone. Very big difference between those. We can't do this alone. We wow. build resilience I that. by helping and I think, each other. Yeah, I'm
0: definitely, I definitely want to talk about Switch and we're running out of time, so I have a couple more questions. But the the entire idea that, listen, we're into a new year. By the time this broadcast, this will be in, in the new year, new decade. And most people are going to uh, have this have this uh, New Year's resolution. They're going to change what they're, they're going to change their diets. They're going to, they're going to, they're going to ignore the things that happened in the past and they're going to forge ahead to make a better life. But the reality is until you deal with these systematic uh, thoughts that you've been avoiding forever that have been negative until you, uh, uh, find the root cause and the root toxicity of that, at some point it's going to start growing again. It's almost like a weed. You have to deal with it. You have to, you have to, you have to eliminate it and, exactly. and then move on. Is that correct?
1: exactly you have to deal with it and you, you, you mustn't you, you you're dealing with it by embracing it literally celebrating it which sounds really weird but you're celebrating the fact that you're weakening it because as soon as you're consciously aware of something you can change it if you're not consciously aware of something you can't so yes you, you are embracing you processing and you reconceptualizing and reconceptualizing means that you're redesigning it it's like you remember I used to get like this and then I was like that and I did this maybe with your life you used to be maybe I don't know I'm just guessing but from a little that yeah, you've oh, yeah. said, it affected your self esteem a little bit, this whole thing growing up. And so you you can that you can basically reconceptualize it, now going through saying, oh, well, my mom didn't intentionally make me feel bad or try and destroy my self-esteem. She herself was battling. And your compassion and your choice to stand back and observe your own thinking, that helped you see it from a different angle. Reconceptualize. So you built a healthy thought. So you started off the program telling me about your life. It shows me that you've and how you've changed. Oh, yeah. So you've reconceptualized. So you still remember oh. your suffering, but it's made you a better person. And that's what I mean we've got to do that we've no, got I mean, to embrace and one said, and you know change the way you look
0: at things the things you look at will change. and basically what I'm doing is I'm, I'm' I'm looking at it through a different lens and saying, well without that I'm not I'm not the person I am today. I'm not doing this podcast today. I've changed it. It served an important role in my in my in my growth. I've learned how to deal with it. I've addressed it. I've uh, now this is how I now this is how I re- view that past. I view it completely differently. Which changes how it filters through my brain, which changes my body's reaction to it. Now it doesn't make me weak and and, and feel less than it makes me strong and feel powerful. Would that be right? Yeah,
1: exactly, exactly, totally powerful in a, in a, in a very positive sense. Because what I always tell. Talk- Uh, like people to realize is that when you start operating in this very self-regulated lifestyle, because essentially mind management, which is pretty much the big word, the main word for what I teach is telling people how to manage their minds in terms of everything, in terms of dealing with stuff and relationships and everything, um, is when you do that, you start shifting how your body functions and you set up this really wonderful feedback loop between mind, brain and body that enables you to basically function at a different level that it's a continual yeah. process it's not going to be overnight it's a continual process it. all
0: right so it's a uh, couple more questions so one uh where do people find you i know i am going to say this before you do but you have the most amazing website like i don't know who created the website sure. but if you want something and you want to know something I'm saying you can go to our website and there's, uh, oh my gosh, there's, there's clinical studies you're working on now. There's books I'm saying, everything is on your website. So, but with your website and then where else do people find you?
1: Thank you, DrLeaf. dot I assume you put it in the show notes. Um, also, they can um, my podcast. I have a podcast called "Cleaning Up the Mental Mess." Um, we have, uh, if people join the newsletter, they're going to get a weekly blog. But I've also got blogs like normal. We all have blogs, podcasts, um, and then we have yeah. There's the store on the on the website that's got lots of information. So, and then if people want to know about my clinical trials that I'm doing, I mean, we had just to just to tell you, we're talking about depression. We busy analysing it now, and we see. F- We've had people come in, into the study that have been so depressed and lethargic and not being able to sleep and process information just by using that switch app um, that that I was talking about, the, which are the five steps that I've developed over the techniques that I've developed over these 30 years that we've now put in this technological Platform and an app on your phone just using that they didn't have any interaction with me they used my app Um, so it was through technology they went through this process learned to mind manage did the five steps and by day 21 within three weeks they had the depression the lethargy the lack of sleep the, the inability to process information and not be able to contact gone by day 63 which is nine weeks later it was sustained, and total changes in their blood. Total changes. So as these narrative, as the mind management changed, their narrative changed, their lifestyle changed, the blood changed, the chemistry, blood chemistry changed, the physical change, the brain changed, and it's 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 being sustained. These people are now. We just tested three months later again, and we're getting the results in from that. It's people mm-hmm. are sustaining a yeah, pattern. So once you self-regulate, um, you change. And the, the results, the, evi- the evidence is there. So that's a doctor. Yeah, people want to know more the, about
0: the, that. The it's drleafresearch.com. The, the app is phenomenal. I'm saying the idea that Sorry. you have, uh, you know, we, we use, there's a, lot of, um, there's a lot of conceptions, a lot of thoughts about uh, social media and technology. and But here's, here's really the benefit of technology. And that is when I, when, when I have done, used the right way, it exactly. is powerful. I'm saying it is powerful that somebody can have a, have an app that's that really is, I'm saying there's a million apps out there, but exactly. really that has clinical backing, that has uh, tips of the day, it has resources, it has a, a journal that you can write in. I'm saying really – Right at the fingertips, you have this computer at your fingertips all day to help you kind of detox you and get to the life you actually were designed to have. Not this, not this life that you designed in a negative state, but the, the one that you were actually created for.
1: <laughs> exactly. Well, you, I you see that. that so I well.
0: If you haven't read uh, any of her books, which she's got a million amazing ones, make sure you grab them. Um, I really like your latest one, "Switch on Your Brain." But there's another great one which we didn't really talk a lot about. Maybe that's for another time. But the whole connection between what you eat and you and and, and how you think, and you have a great book called "Think and Eat Yourself Smart," which is phenomenal, phenomenal book. One of your other amazing books. Uh, all right. Last question. So thank you very much. I know your thank time you. is uh, unbelievably valuable, so I'm going to end it right on time. Thank but um, my last question for you, and that is, when you leave this earth many, many, many years from now, what do you want your contribution to have been?
1: My Probably my biggest contribution is to help people to realize that they, uh, that they can think, that and when they have this ability to direct their brain, this directed neuroplasticity, this ability to mind manage, and if you teach people to think, they they change. And you know, it's it, to teach them to really stand back and observe their own thinking. Now, I often say to people, and this may summarize it all, is that you can't control the events and circumstances of your life, but you can control your reactions. So that's your thinking. You can control your thinking, and when we do control our thinking, things change.
0: Hmm. Fantastic, fantastic! Listen, it was, uh, it was an hour. It felt like five minutes. So I don't know. Like, it's <laughs> like I, I could have done this for another twenty-three hours straight.
1: Oh, uh, thank you. That's so sweet of you. Thank really you. Really
0: appreciate you. And I know uh, the last thing is you, you have a you have this great conference once a year. I think it's in December. You probably just fancy yes. right.
1: Yes, the mental health summit we just had it last weekend, and um, it's open for pre-registration now. We filled up by in October last year already. We had to close registrations early, wow. so we very excited. We're going to be doubling the numbers, um, space now. We'll have a lot more double the numbers, so we'll have up to two and a half thousand pe- space for two and a half thousand people. But it's already starting to fill up, so people are yeah. You know, that's and it's great. We handle all these things in a lot of depth, and it's just, it's a it's a really great. And we're also doing a a mental health challenge soon. Um, so it'll be with switch app and they can find out those details on our website as well which is going to be very exciting Going to set up a whole community and do it together
0: awesome i love it all right so look so get her book uh download the get the app right away get the app right away share the app too with people that need it because i think everybody needs that help in their pocket and then attend their conference and make sure you subscribe to her podcast a great million podcasts out there uh i don't know of one i'm a big podcast guy that is as tactical and practical as as this one. Remember, you're not a a type, you're a prototype. So uh, thank you very much, Dr. Caroline Leaf. I really appreciate you. My pleasure.
1: I hope you found today's podcast interesting and helpful. If you want more tips and help with managing anxiety, depression, and mental health, be sure to visit my website at drleaf.com. And to sign up for my weekly newsletter, where I also include a schedule of my speaking events and so much more. And follow me on social media. I'm on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Just look for Dr. Caroline Leaf. Also, I love seeing all your posts on social media about this podcast. I love seeing what resonates with you and what you've learned.